having me. Um, I want to talk briefly about uh, the response from uh, various sectors to the frankly horrifying uh, killing of, of George Floyd in, in Minneapolis and the effect that it's had on anti-Zionism anti and anti-Semitism in the U.S. and really globally. There's been a dramatic upswing in the past month, um, and it's a, it's a particularly uh, curious switch because in, in the month of May, most anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism rhetoric globally was oriented towards uh, accusing Israel of being responsible for the coronavirus pandemic and things like that. The current, uh, the current situation is much more domestic in, in orientation, and it has to be situated within, I think, the long history of Muslim and Palestinian and far left and communist efforts to um, split the American Black Jewish Alliance and vilify Israel, very much characterized the 1950s and 1960s. And since that time, from the 70s onward, to vilify Israel and to racialize and marginalize um, Jews, particularly American Jews, as white people, as enemies of people of color. This, the language emphasizing Israel as an imperialist entity goes back to the early 20th century. Israel as a colonialist entity goes back to the 1950s, partially Soviet-inspired, and it really dominated rhetoric throughout the 1960s and 70s. Language alleg alleging Israel is white emerges in the 1960s, but it's really exploded in the past few decades. And what we've seen today, literally in, in the past few weeks, is a, is a classic example of, of the red-green synthesis in action. The, the, the synthesis between um, Islamists and communist socialists. Um, what we see is a unrest in major cities across the United States and throughout culture, uh, locally and globally, fomented by a frankly horrific and, and criminal uh, event, the killing of George um, Floyd, but then instrumentalized by, we can, we can say three different broad sectors. One is the Black Lives uh, Matter movement, which is the conceptual heir to the Black Panthers. The second is the Antifa movement or, or conspiracy, it seems, which grew out of the Occupy movement, which is expli explicitly anti-capitalist and anti-Israel in orientation, and um, the U.S. Muslim Brotherhood Network, Muslim Student Associations, Students for Justice in Palestine chapters, American Muslims for Palestine, the, the umbrella group for SJPs, CARE, pushing continually uh, anti-Israel agendas, latching on to whatever the latest uh, issues and rhetoric are, and um, pushing their claims using the rubric of human rights. The original Black Lives Matter movement was very much explicitly anti-Israel and anti-Semitic. They've removed some of this from their, uh, their platform in recent weeks. It, was, it, it came to the forefront in Ferguson, in 2014 in Missouri, another police killing. And it was connected from that point onward with Israel by the Black Lives Matter movement 
and Muslim Brotherhood elements like SJPs, American Muslims for Palestine, as well as progressive left front groups, the so-called Jewish uh, left, like Jewish Voices for Peace. A key element of this is to accuse Israel of being uh, responsible for police violence, so-called, in the US, and uh, more recently to characterize Jews as white and privileged. And since these early intersectional so-called days, 2014, 2015, this, these kinds of accusations have really taken off. Opposition to what have been deemed so-called deadly exchanges. That is to say, police training missions in Israel sponsored by the ADL, by the Jewish Institute for National Security Affairs, and other groups have been deemed by a Jewish Voice for Peace in particular, and picked up by other groups as responsible as a, a kind of root cause for uh, police violence in the US. These exchanges are really oriented towards two things, uh, counterterrorism training, which expanded uh, globally after 9-11, and community relations sorts of, uh, sorts of issues. But time and again, we've seen accusations in, in various kinds of contexts that Israel is responsible, Israeli training is responsible. There was a successful campaign in the um, Durham, North Carolina City Council in 2018, where the city um, repudiated the training of its police force um, and, and any relationship with Israel as a result of the Jewish Voice for Peace campaign. And these claims have had particular success on campus. Uh, in 2019, there was a, a considerable controversy at Tufts University regarding uh, an exchange where one or a few Tufts University police officers went to Israel on one of these programs. And this was alleged to be um, the source of, of uh, both discomfort and police violence in, in uh, campus, on campus and um, in the larger community. Where these allegations have had particular success with deadly effect have been with bizarre American sects like black Hebrews who think that they are the real Jews and that, uh, that Jews, Ashkenazi Jews in particular are, are somehow fake. Um, and with the Nation of Islam, which is foundationally anti-Semitic, but which has influenced very strongly the Black Lives Matter movement specifically, the Women's March uh, organization specifically. And this direct rad radicalization in the past four years produced uh, the Jersey City uh, shootings of last year, stabbings in Muncie, New York, and a spate of attacks on visible Jews, um, identifiably Jews, um, ultra-Orthodox Jews, in particular throughout New York City in the past year. The, the George Floyd um, riots that uh, occurred um, have been hijacked predictably through these established networks using by now established uh, rhetoric. Um, so, on the nights of the rioting, synagogues and cemeteries and businesses, Jewish businesses, were vandalized in New York, particularly in Los Angeles. Um, slogans written on, on buildings. 
the usual suspects, what we can call the usual suspects, the, the PLO, the Palestinian Authority, Iran, Turkey, um, immediately jumped on the, this issue and cartoon contests and so on, depicting George Floyd in a, in a kafia and, some, uh, and such things. Uh, the Palestinian Lives Matter hashtags appeared all over Twitter. And there were condemnations from a variety of, of predictable but uh, and also unpredictable sources. A rapper, Ice-T, who has a long history of anti-Semitism, jumped on the issue. Um, Los Angeles realtor, Mohammed Hadid, the father of some famous models or something, accused Israel of being responsible for the police violence. But interestingly, he retracted it. And a British singer by the name of Dua Lipa uh, tweeted out to her millions of followers that uh, Jews were responsible. And there was coverage in various mainstream media event, uh, platforms that didn't specifically make the accusation that Israel was, was, was responsible, but repeated the accusation in a, without debunking it. So I want to, I want to close really by pointing out a couple of, um, a couple of specific statements, which I think are useful because they point uh, where things are going and the, the nature of the rhetoric. Um, so students for justice in Palestine chapters immediately got on the issue and they, a number of them, a half dozen or more, issued state, identical statements saying, and I quote, systemic racism and oppression are central to the function of the US and Israel as settler, colonial, and carceral states. The struggles for Palestinians and black liberation under the institutional regime, regimes of apartheid and segregation, mass incarceration, racial capitalism, and white supremacy are deeply intertwined. So here we have a kind of grand unified theory of all of the uh, all of the types and sources of oppression the great satan the us the little satan israel settler colonialism carceral incarceration states apartheid segregation capitalism white supremacy all lumped together uh, literally into in two sentences this is uh, this is standard boilerplate for them but it's it's really taken up a notch um, I'll point to another series of statements which were issued at the, in the University of California system by a variety of groups uh, which calls on, on the, the system to, um, and I quote, divest from companies that profit off of Israel's illegal military of occupation of Palestine, investments that, that uphold a system of anti-black racism in the US, we know that the Minneapolis police were also trained by Israeli counterterrorism officers and so on and so on and so on. And the demands being, uh, we demand an end to this complicity. Uh, we demand uh, an end to all police contracts, abolish police departments on campuses and redistribute those resources to those in need, divest from companies that profit off of Israel's colonial occupation of Palestine. Again, boilerplate, but, uh, but a grand unified theory. The fusion, a cutting edge fusion of all the latest issues, all the latest rhetoric. But what's interesting to me is that, um, the, is the, signature, uh, the signatures. Um, it's signed by the usual Palestinian, Muslim, and Jewish groups, but also by um, the Bone Health Initiative, by the UC Davis American Sign Language Club. 
by the Berkeley Livermore National Laboratory, which I'm sure is somebody just um, speaking out of, uh, out of step with that institution, and hundreds and hundreds of graduate students. And this shows, I think, two things. It shows that intersectional pressures on campus demand absolute conformity on the issue of Israel um, as a racist, imperialist, settler colonial state. And this is the, the condition for acceptance within campus life. And the, the letter is also signed by hundreds and hundreds of graduate students who are the future of academia. And that future academics are totally on board with these kinds of intersectional um, racist, anti-Zionist and anti-Semitic um, accusations. So let me close, um, there are other points that I could make, but let me close my remarks just with, uh, with a couple of observations. What are the goals? I think the goals are to break the U.S.-Israel relationship using crude um, allegations of racism that are themselves racist and anti-Semitism, to cancel Israel on campus very much the way that Israel was canceled on campus in the 1970s in the U.K., after the uh, United Nations Zionism is Racism resolution it was used as a, an excuse to anathematize uh, Israel groups and um, individual Jews. And to create a context, uh, an atmosphere of fear on campus, which very much exists for supporters of Israel. Um, and it's to also to break down community perceptions through city councils and churches and so on, the, the continuing the work of the BDS movement and the United States Muslim Brotherhood Network uh, even further, and to marginalize Jews in American society. Um, it's important to note that despite um, all of the blatant anti-Semitism, uh, anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism have near total impunity from being called out. Criticism gets you nowhere, uh, even though critics are, are legion. And the final two goals are to gain hard power in politics through elections and through allies. And there are dozens of candidates who are Islamist and Islamist allied at lower levels in school boards and city councils and so on. And to gain um, soft power in American culture by trafficking in victimhood and using anti-Semitism against white Jews and against um, Israel, the little Satan. Uh, this is the this is the context, and my prediction is that it's not going to get better anytime, anytime soon. Um, and we don't really know what the nature of the backlash against this is going to is going to be. This is one issue: um, hating Jews and and hating Israel in particular are issues that American um, the American far left and the far right are very much in sync with, as as they are in in Europe. And I think. Uh, we'll see more of this going forward. But the situation is going to be very difficult, particularly on campus and particularly in liberal cities going, uh, going forward. So um, let me stop there. I'll, I'll look at the time and let's, if we can, take some questions. All right. Thank you so much for that. The first question we have is, you mentioned the red-green axis. Are those most, are mostly younger people involved? Well, it's very, it's very hard to get a, a demographic uh, look at, at what's very much a broad, um, you know, broad spectrum of American society. What we see in particular in, 
anti-Israel bias um, in particular has been really the only issue that has unified the American Muslim community since the 1920s. Um, Anti-Zionism at that point, anti-Israel after Israel became a state. Um, and it's the, one of the only issues that unites Shia and Sunni. Uh, Sunni are the, very much the majority in the US. Um, and it unites with the, the nation of Islam. And the, the senior members of the American Muslim Brotherhood uh, infrastructure are very much older, older guys, and they're all guys. Um, the younger people are, are the, the figureheads, the, the, the representatives, Representative Ilhan Omar, uh, Representative Rashida Tlaib, um, Hatem Bazian of the University of California at Berkeley. These are middle-aged, say, people, and the foot soldiers, as always, are, are the young people. The Antifa movement seems, from what I can tell, seems to be uh, comprised very much of young people, um, of 40 and under, young by my standards. So. Thank you. Along those lines, so how do we respond when young Jews and non-Jews alike see such um, politicians such as Bernie Sanders align himself with an, uh, known anti-Semites? Um, yeah. well, Bernie Sanders is, a, is an interesting case. I mean, Bernie Sanders is an old guy. He's 77 or 78 years old. He's a, an old-time old communist. He himself is not um, opposed to the existence of, of Israel. And he, uh, during his, his campaign, which went on for quite some time, he actually came out and, and opposed the, the, the BDS movement, saying that it was unproductive. And this represents a kind of older school of you know, American communist socialist, uh, in very much indigenous sort of thinking about um, where ends have to uh, be commensurate to, or means have to be commensurate to the, to the ends. And it wasn't um, black and white completely, you might say. What we see, I think, in the last decades, 20 years, 30 years, um, as the polarization in American society has very much uh, intensified in, in all directions, uh, along every axis, between every group, um, and young people, uh, an ungeneralizable about group who get generalized about as millennials or Gen X or, or what have you all the time, um, there is very much a culture of conformity that has has emerged. Part of this is a result explicitly of campus culture, which in which uh, tolerance for for free speech and for ideas has has diminished. And we saw this occur in in Britain in the 70s and, and 80s, which has a, a very different campus culture. But uh, it's it's very, it's here and it's now. And the children of American campus culture of the last two decades are now in politics. They're now in human, um, in HR departments, in the corporate world. And um, the, the level of intolerance generally for ideas, the fear expressed for ideas that dis for disagreement is, is extraordinary. And uh, so I think we're reaping the whirlwind, you might say, for for the past. So what kind of effect do you think a Biden would win, win would have on these radical ideas? Well, um, 
I think a Biden administration would a Biden administration would basically be would basically be a third Obama administration. And the Obama administration um, was particularly mendacious, and it it talked it talked a good game about being uh, the best friend that Israel ever had, um, and it worked quietly to cultivate uh, really a great deal of international opposition to uh, to Israel within the United Nations, within other organizations. It worked very um, quietly to generate a whole network of organizations which now are part of the uh, the intellectual so-called elite um, ecosystem of the of the country media matters uh, and um, you know other other groups come directly out of the you know the John Podesta wing of the Democratic Party which is subservient to the Obama administration and the third thing we saw is a tremendous number of um, Islamists within within the government in the Justice Department in the Defense Department in the in the intelligence uh, community working very quietly on on their uh, agendas and um, much of which is was oriented towards rehabilitating the image of the Islamic and Arab world in uh, the broader in the broader uh, American discourse and policy uh, policy communities so I think we'll see a return to that uh, 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 we would see a return to that under a Biden administration it, a lot of it depends on who his vice president will be because that will be both symbolic and, and very telling. None of the candidates, so far as I can tell, are particularly favorable to Israel um, or to Jews. And um, I think the, 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 band, the band never broke up. The band's always been together as a kind of shadow government, um, pretending it's a shadow government. And I think they're very anxious to get back into, uh, back into power. And it, I don't think it'd be good for the country necessarily. The, this has something to do with, uh, it's not a call for uh, a re-election of, of President Trump. You know, don't get me wrong. Um, I, I think that a Biden administration would have particular effects in this area. Wonderful, thank you. Um, if, uh, so can you just, you mentioned that Black Lives Matter movement was influenced by um, Islamist groups. Uh, how can you just compare the the manifesto to to such issues that would come off as the? I would I would have to pull up the old version and and the new version. So let me pass on that on that question, so I don't have to, you know, start googling in my own files for <laughs> that. But I will say that that you know in the original manifesto, such as I recall, and I and I can't quote it from from memory, there were explicit anti-Israel. Um, Kind of citations similar to the to the extended quotes that I read you from from uh, the University of California statement uh, and from the uh, SJP statement, and these are very similar in in some respects, as I said, to uh, to earlier Black Panther kind of rhetoric, going back to the very end of the 1960s and the beginning of the 1970s when the Panthers took a, a very explicit anti-Jewish, anti-Israel turn or it blossomed within their rhetoric and a pro, um, a, a kind of Islamist um, 
turn in their rhetoric as, as well. It's important to note that a number of these, number of the original Black Panthers actually became Muslims and went off to, to the Middle East and uh, before coming back, um, those who came back. So I think history is in a sense repeating itself, but the larger conditions are, are, are rather different. So it's not, a, it's not a precise kind of comparison. All right, thank you. And can you just comment on how the media is playing into all of this? I, I personally may not be the biggest news watcher, but I don't, I don't recall seeing too much about uh, Jewish businesses and synagogues getting vandalized and all of this. Well, I think you have to go to, um, you have to go to Jewish media and you have to go to so-called right-wing media. And I'll, I'll make a point that I always make whenever I can speaking in, in public that if you read one, if you choose to read one media source, no matter what it is, you, you choose to be systematically misled about whatever issue is. If you read only a few, um, you're getting only a tiny part of the picture. If you read everything, which is a misfortune uh, restricted to those of us who have to do it, um, then then you set yourself up for insanity and but you have a better idea of what's going on really it's only jewish media and and right wing so called outlets that covered uh that cover any of these kinds of jewish issues and um anti outbreaks of anti-semitism generally and what we saw for example in in the jersey city shootings uh the there was initial speculation in the media that this was um, some kind of far right um, attack. And of course that's completely wrong. And when it became clear that this was uh, you know, a particularly bizarre sect of black Hebrews who were explicitly radicalized, there were tapes that were found in the trunk of these characters car um, that called for you know, attacks, on, attacks on Jews and the Jews Ashkenazi Jews were, were fake and so on. They immediately, immediately dropped these kinds of things. And you can go and find in specialized counterinsurgency and counterterrorism and counter um, extremism literature uh, informed discussions of these things. But there is a narrative and these kinds of facts don't fit the, the dominant narrative. Um, the same way with, with uh, discussions of, of the Antifa. People have been covering these things in places like Portland and Minneapolis for, for four or five, six years as organized movements. But these have been disregarded as, you know, wackos and, or harmless, harmless people. And um, it's, not so, it's not so harmless and it's not so, it's not so disorganized. And occasionally, you know, even the Attorney General of, of um, of Minnesota, Keith Ellison, who was Nation of Islam character, even he said that a lot of the destruction was was brought about by outside outsiders. So a little every once in a while, a bit of truth slips out. But there's there are narratives um, to be maintained, some of which are are in a sense very valid. Uh, you know, police violence is a problem in this country. Discrimination is a problem in this country and and globally. Um, but the, the, the extent to which facts and realities are, are deliberately edited out or, or transformed in order to focus on a very, very small number of, of points is, um, is very telling. And uh, it's, uh, 
And it's led to a, a massive distrust between people and the media because people can see when they point the, a camera out the window that you know things are being smashed all up and down Fifth Avenue in New York City. And this is not, uh, this is the antithesis of what they're being told that it's a you know, mostly peaceful protest. So uh, fat, reality and, and language are, are out of sync in a dramatic way. Exactly. Well, thank you so much. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. Uh, My thank pleasure. you again for speaking with us. Um, please be on the lookout for our upcoming weekly webinar offerings invitation that will be sent out over the weekend. Next week, we will be switching over to a one-click login directly from the webinar invitation emails, removing the need to register for each webinar individually. This process will be outlined in the weekly webinar email for next week. And thank you all again for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day.